Um, what, a, what a cool video interview that was. We're talking about marriage this morning. There's lots of people with lots of thoughts and opinions on the roles in marriage. Very tough topic. And uh, anytime uh, a man sits uh, in, in a room or a woman sits in a room and we start talking specifically about the role of marriage and we start talking specifically about women's role in the marriage and we start throwing out words like submission and honor and respect, I mean, it just creates tension, and uh, which is one of the reasons why I have her up here with me today uh, to teach some of this. But, um, you know, I, I think honestly, ladies, this is a message that, and as you can see on the, sc- the screen, it swims against culture. You're not going to find, um, you know, correct information about, you know, what God says or how this should be played out at, you know, the, the checkout stand in Kroger's or Walmart at some magazine rack, and, and you're certainly not going to hear it in mainstream media. And, and, and you're not going to find a lot of encouragement anywhere outside of God's Word. And, and, and hopefully if God's put a godly woman, and maybe an older woman in your life, that has, is mentoring you, um, this is just information that you're just not hearing all the time. And a lot of times when you do hear it, you hear it the wrong way. It's presented the wrong way. There's there's some false ideas of what this is all about. And I know that a lot of you uh, in this room today and some of you listening you know, over the Internet, you're in a tough marriage right now. And uh, I would venture to guess that uh, even after last Sunday, I spoke about the role of, of a man in the marriage. And then we had this past Thursday, you know, wonderful men's prayer meeting where we prayed for our families and our marriages. And we prayed for our, our, our role as men and prayed for the church and the community. And then... You know, this past Friday we had our real you and had a, had an amazing uh, packed house of women who just you know praying together. I, I would I would venture to guess with all of that being done this past week that Satan has probably ramped up this spiritual battle in your home a bit this past week. And we need to understand that whenever the Bible is open and truth is taught and, and husbands and wives begin to align themselves with what God says about the roles of men and women, uh, especially in, in regards to mar- marriage, our adversary, our enemy, Satan, he is going to ramp up his mission to destroy not only you, but your marriage and your home. He wants the tension. He wants the confusion. He wants to, to create the conflict. He, he desires destruction. His mission is very clear. Jesus laid it out in John 10.10. 10. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's not sometimes going to come right in the front door. I mean, Jesus tells us he comes through the back door and, and in ways that sometimes we don't even expect. And one of his main targets is the home. And he is laser focused in on our marriages. And if you think any, anything other than that, I want you to know you're being deceived. He wants to destroy your marriage, your home, your kids. Um, and, you know, if you look at just even statistics, um, you, you can find this information anywhere. The divorce rate in our country right now is about 45%, give take a few points. Um, and, and, you know, you look, I, I, meant, I, I meant this, uh, mentioned this, this past, or last uh, Sunday. The Family Research Council just came out with a new report that uh, tells us that 46% of children in the U.S. are growing up in homes that are, that are not intact, where there, there, are, there are two parents in a home. And according to this report, uh, it's having a significant impact on the nation's graduation rate, teenage pregnancy rate, on the poverty rate. Um, 46% nationwide, guess where the lowest percentage is? Right here in the Bible Belt, in the South, 41%. And so that tells you that, that there's a war that's going on out there, and, and the family is being attacked. And, 
you look and you go, where did all this begin? I mean, where did, where did things just kind of get so out of whack and start spinning out of control? Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Genesis right at the very beginning in chapter 2. And, and you, most of you know the story. God created Adam and, and, and he said, looked at Adam and he said, it's not good for this guy to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. So he took a rib from Adam's side and he created a woman. And because God is a God of order, he, he, he made man the leader and he created the woman to be his helper, his follower. And God had created this perfect marriage scenario. One man plus one woman plus God for a lifetime. And in that marriage, that first marriage, there was no guilt, there was no, no, no shame, there was no sin, there was no struggle, there was, there, there was, there was not fighting, um, there was not a conflict. They, were, they willingly took on the roles that God had laid out for them, and, and they were one in every sense of the word. And their union was this, this perfect picture of beauty. I mean, you can just imagine the Garden of Eden and this, this couple and this marriage and Luther Vandross music playing in the garden all the time or Lionel Richie or whatever your flavor is there. But, and then all of a sudden we read that a serpent comes into the garden and he bypasses the leader Adam and he goes straight to the follower Eve. And the serpent, who we believe to be Satan, entices Eve to do the one thing that God instructed Adam and Eve not to do. Eat a piece of fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Eve, she takes the fruit, she eats it, she, she looks at her husband, and she gives it to him, and, and, and he eats it as well. And from that moment on, everything changed. That moment was a game changer. When Eve ate the fruit, and then she offered it to Adam, and he ate it, not only... Did they both sin? And not only were, were, were God and, and man put at odds with each other, but a role reversal took place. The woman, she usurped leadership from the man, and, and he then became the follower. And sin caused God's design for marriage to be tarnished and twisted, and, and, it, and it has been greatly impacted ever since. And, and as a result of Adam and Eve's actions uh, against God, God gave them both a curse. Cursed them, gave them, laid it out, a curse for man and woman because of their sin. And Well, since we're focusing on women this morning, let me read to you specifically what God said to the woman. In Genesis 3.16, he said to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Here's what, here's what God told Eve. He said, you're going to have pain and childbearing. This is long before epidurals. Hey, you're going you're to have pain and childbearing. And then he said, you're going to have strife in your marriage. Your desire shall be, the way this word reads in the Hebrew, against your husband. In other words, you're not going to want to follow him. Instead, because of the effects of sin, your natural desire is going to be, want, is going to, be to, to control and lead him. And from that moment on, men and women have, have, have had uh, marital issues. Women... The tendency is to, to control and lead men go passive. John MacArthur says, if you want to know why marriage is tough, it's because there has been, since that act in the garden, a role reversal. And Satan has been fighting ever since to keep roles reversed because he knows that if he can destroy a marriage, he can destroy families, he can destroy, if he can destroy families, he can, he can destroy society. There'll be a breakdown in society. And I mentioned last week, this that we're talking about, throughout this series is a spiritual battle. We are at war and the stakes are very high. Marriages are at stake. Generations are at stake. The welfare of our community is at stake. But God has given us 
instruction through his word, not only on what uh, marriage is supposed to look like and, and, and on the, the roles that we're to play as husbands and wives, but he's also given us this Holy Spirit to empower us to be able to successfully fulfill these roles. Now, last Sunday, I, I spoke to the men, and, and I threw out a very straightforward challenge. And I said, men, we are commanded to lead our wives. In, in other words, it's not a suggestion. It's not some advice that God threw out at us. You know, it's not an option. You're, you are the leader. And, and as men, we are to, to lead our wives. And here's what this looks like according to God's word. We are to love our wives unconditionally and sacrificially. We're to protect her. We are to unselfishly care for her. We're to serve her and we're to provide for her. And guys, God says, you are the head of the home. As Christ is the head of the church, you are the head of the home. And the question that you have to ask yourself as we're speaking specifically to women this morning is, are you a good head or a bad head? And so with that said, women, we want to talk to you this morning. And we want to lay out for you what God's word says about your role in marriage. Naomi's going to start us off. All right. Number one is respect him. Respect your man. And Ephesians 5.33 says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. In this verse, respect means to revere, to admire, or to esteem. Well, our oldest son, Taylor, when he was two years old, got a birthday present from us. We bought him a Grant Hill Detroit Pistons basketball goal. It was about this big, and we set it in his room. And he used to dribble the ball around in his bedroom and just sweat profusely. He's one of these kids that could never sit still. He's always running around. So for like a couple hours, he would just run and run and sweat and shoot the basketball goal. And he couldn't say his W's at two, so he used to go, Ach! Watch, Mom, I shoot. And so I would go and watch him, and I would cheer and say, Yes, you are the man, Taylor. Good job. And he would run around some more and sweat a little more and go, Watch, Mom, watch, I shoot. And he would shoot the ball, and I would cheer a little more and tell him how great he was. And you know, it's funny because really not a whole lot's changed. We have two teenagers now. We have a 10-foot basketball goal, but they're still kind of doing the same thing. So I'll walk out to get the mail, and they'll go, Watch, watch, Mom, watch you shoot. And they'll shoot the basket, and I'll cheer for them and tell them how great they are. And, you know, it's interesting to me that little boys and teenage boys and grown men and old men are thirsty for admiration. They are thirsty for us to respect and admire them and what it is that they're doing. So we as wives have a great opportunity and um, I think the responsibility to be their huge encourager. Now, I know that there are some women who really are in a bad situation, and they think, I'm not sure that I have a whole lot about him to respect or admire. I want to encourage you to find something. Anything. Find something you can admire. If he picks his dirty socks up off the floor, go, you're the man, you picked your socks up, or... I love the way you mowed the grass, or man, you put gas in the car. That was awesome. You know, find something that you can respect and admire about your man because they're thirsty for it. It's the way God made them. And he made us in this role to be their cheerleaders. Um, sometimes I tell Brian, I go, I'm so stinking proud of you. Like that, And I think, oh, well, he's a respectable man. I could be proud of him. But when he's a hundred years old and all he can do is take his little scooter and scoot from the, from the couch into the kitchen, I'm still going to say, I'm so stinking proud of you. 
And, and I promise I, you, I will have the fastest scooter in town. <laughs> so men need the admiration from us, and we need to let them know that we respect and admire them. Now, now men, you can't depend on us to be your ultimate source of encouragement because we're human and we're going to let you down. But you can look to God for that because no one can fill that void that we have in our hearts, that, that need for security and significance except for God. And Brian's been talking the last couple of weeks about going to the cross. And, you know, we go to the cross and we accept Jesus as our Savior, our, our only way to heaven. And then sometimes we're like, okay, see you in heaven. And we forget that we can go back to the cross every single day and get everything we need. So men, I encourage you and women, do that. Fill up on him because he's the one that can fill that void and be our ultimate encourager. So men love to have women be a team with them. And oftentimes, you know, when necessary, they're coach. But most importantly, they want him to be their cheerleader. Yep. Yep. And let me, let me say this to you guys. Be a man that your wife can respect. Yep. Be the man that your wife can look to and go, I admire him. I mean, go beyond picking up the socks. It, be this man that your wife can be proud of, that she can admire, that she can say, I respect him. I, I look to him and, I, and I, I can respect this man. The second thing is, be a helper to him. Um, in Genesis 2, uh, 18... It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. Now, when God created Eve, he says, I'm going to create this helper fit for him. Um, the King James calls it a helpmeet. I remember reading that when I was younger with the, the King James, a helpmeet. The Hebrew translation for that word helpmeet, helper, is, is azar konegdo. And the words, the words azar konegdo is really a difficult phrase to translate into English. But how we normally hear this phrase translated um, is, is helper, it's comforter, it's companion, or, or again, the words help me. And, and I can't imagine that any of you ladies in here, you grew up and, you know, when you were thinking about one day you were going to meet, meet your Prince Charming and you were thinking about getting married and you had that image of what your wedding would look like that you danced around singing, one day I shall be a help meet. That probably did not, not cross your mind. I know it didn't for her. Um, but I love this word. I love this word, Azar. It is used 20 times in the whole Old Testament. And every, in every instance it's used, it describes God when you need him to come through for you in a desperate situation. Psalm 121, verse 1 says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My Azar, my help, comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 33, 20 says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our Azar. He's our, he's our help and our shield. Um, God's our Azar. He's our only hope. He is our lifesaver. Konegdo means that, that to come alongside. God is a lifesaver that comes alongside of us. It's used oftentimes in, in military terms uh, to describe someone who would, would come along someone else in, in the sense of a battle. And without their presence, the battle would be lost. Without them being involved in the war, there, there would be a, a gap to fill. Something would be missing. And ladies, I want you to know that, that God has not made you to be a tag-along. He's not made you to be a second-class citizen in your marriage. He's certainly not made you to be a doormat. But instead, what he's called you to do is to humbly but with confidence take on this role of advisor, of comforter, of fierce, loyal friend, and at times to be this helper, to be this rescuer for your husband. 
because of what Jesus has done for, for us on the cross and what he's done for you and with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life flowing through you, you have been given the God-given ability to be fiercely devoted. You've been given the ability to endure great hardships and to, and to even stand strong in the midst of great conflict. One of the things about Amy and I that you may not know is that we, we are very much alike. Um, the thing that really attracted, I think, us to each other is we were such great friends before we really got serious about dating, and we, we just like the same things. Matter of fact, if, if you know anything about psychology, if you've ever taken any psychological profiles, uh, one of them is called the Myers-Briggs, and when we were being tested to, um, to plant a church through, um, actually it was the Southern Baptist, um, and we had, they had to make sure that we weren't crazy, um, we went through all these psychological profiles, and one was the Myers-Briggs, and we are the exact same box on the Myers-Briggs profile. And the, it, and the lady looked at us and she goes, I've been doing this for 18 years. I've never assessed a couple that is the exact same box. She said, you are going to be, either be the dynamic duo or you're going to destroy each other. And we say the jury's still out on that. So, <laughs> so anyways, um, we're, we're a lot alike. We're a lot alike. But one of the things that I love about her is she's steady and she's strong. And... Um, several years ago in 2004, many of you know my, my dad, um, who was on our staff, died in a very tragic accident. He, he, he drowned in a rafting, rafting accident on the Nantahala River. And um, it, was, um, it, it, was such a, a, it was such a tragic accident, it just rocked me to the core in every way, physically, spiritually, emotionally. I mean, and it was, there was like this dark cloud over my life that I, I was just trying to dig out of. And you've ever been through anything like that, you know what I'm talking about. And, and even though I knew God, I knew what to say to people during times like this. And I knew, I knew the scriptures to go to. And I knew God was my helper. And I knew that he was my strength and my comfort and my rock. Honestly, there were times I couldn't see it. There were times I was angry at him. And I can't tell you how many times, and it was really the first time, you know, we've been married, I think, 11 years up to that point. I grasped the concept of God designing my wife to be my Azar Konegdo. And she, I mean, she was this support and strength for me that really, I mean, God used to pull me out of this. And uh, last year, if you have been here for the last several weeks, we talked about the difficult challenges we faced last year as a church and how those impact, those challenges impact as a couple. And, and I can't tell you how strong she was through this Azar Konegdo role of just being at times my helper, but at times my rescuer. And I'm not ashamed to tell you, I would probably, I'd probably not be sitting here on this stage if it were not for her. Because she is, she has always been and will always be my Azar Konegdo. And ladies, that's the calling that you have on your life as a helper to your husband. To be the strong, confident, but humble support advisor and at times rescuer. So we're called, you're called to be a helper. Number three. All right, number three is love your man. Well, Titus chapter 2 talks about the role that older wives have in influencing the younger women. And verse 4 says this. It says, so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Well, this, this word love in the Greek is philanthros. And there are two definitions of this word. The first one is to be fond of. And it just means just just love him, just like him, in fact, in, in spite of the fact that he has imperfections. It doesn't mean, you know, except horrible, sinful things. But it's just meaning just love on him, just to accept him for who he is, even though he's imperfect. Well, it's interesting to me that the Bible mentions that women need to be taught to love their husbands. When society 
tells us that love is this emotion that sweeps over us. Um, The Bible says that, of course, emotion is involved in love, but love is more than that. It's a choice that we make, and it's a commitment that we make, and it's something that we have to learn as women. And we can learn more about love as we go through life by looking at older women and how, how they learn to love. Well, the second definition of philandros, love, is affection, and it refers to physical intimacy. And if you've heard All me... All the guys, are in, they're in the conversation now. The guy's just engaged. I felt it. Gosh. Welcome back, men. <laughs> All right. If you've heard us talk about marriage before, and you've heard me and you've heard me talk about the roles of women or intimacy, you have probably heard this example, but I think it's worth restating. And I think that most women value physical intimacy in their, in their marriage. But the problem for a lot of us is that we have this big to-do list, all these things that we have to do that are very, very important. And physical intimacy is one of the things on that list. And It sounds kind of awful to say that, but that's sort of the way it is sometimes. And on that list is like work, you know, your job and taking care of the kids or doing the dishes and cooking and laundry or shaving your legs. And somewhere on that list is, you know, all the things that you value and physical intimacy is on that list. And so the problem with our list and what we need men to understand is that our list is never done. Like we can never go, oh yeah, everything's done. Because as soon as we do all the dishes, well, everyone's hungry again. And then as soon as we do all the laundry, everybody changes clothes and, and somehow our list is never, ever, ever done. So what we, what women need from men is that the men will help them with their to-do list. So they can help them with the dishes or help them do some of these things. That way they can get to all the other important things that are on their list. And And now for us women, what we have to do sometimes is we just have to crumple up our list and toss it and initiate, initiate physical intimacy with our husband. Okay, now I just want to share with you something that that is like such a personal thing for me, something that I deal with and that I think I'm I'm growing and learning in, and that is not just to learn to love our husband, but for me, I'm trying to learn to accept love. And a lot of times Brian will go, Amy, you're beautiful, and I'll go, No, I'm not. And I think that's really awful. I think that I'm probably not alone in that and that there are many women who have difficulty, probably more than giving love, they have difficulty accepting love. But this has become one of my favorite verses. In fact, my favorite verse for the second half of my life. And so I'm gonna read it to you. It's Ephesians 3.19. It says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you will be filled with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. And somewhere I think there's a link when we as women can just totally get how much God loves us. It really frees us up not only to be able to love, but to accept love. 
from our husband as well. All right, number four, submit to his leadership. Now, have you ever been to an event, um, some kind of a party or meeting or get-together that was just totally chaotic? There was no semblance of order there, and you thought, hello, is anybody in charge here? What's going on? Things like that are just frustrating to me, and I don't like things to be really strict. I can't handle that, but I do like some bit of order, kind of just to know what's going on. Well, God is a God of order. And we can tell that because just the way he has the planets all spinning. You know, he didn't just haphazardly throw the world together, but he's a God of order and he has a plan. And because he's a God of order, he tells us that he holds the man responsible for the family and that the women are to support that. There are a lot of misconceptions about submitting to our husband. Some people may think that that means that women are to be weak or inferior, and I think not. That's not in the Bible at all. As a matter of fact, Jesus totally submitted his will to his Father all the way to the cross for the sake of the huge picture of saving the world. And yet he was not weak at all, nor was he inferior. He was completely equal with God in every sense. And so being submissive doesn't mean that you lose your identity or that you just blindly obey barked out orders or that you become a doormat. But what, God, what does God mean here when he's talking about submit? So let's look at Colossians. Chapter 3 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. And in Ephesians, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. I like that. Because you get to pick the one, and you only have to submit to him, not every, not every other man. But wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So when it comes to Brian and me, I think we are equal. We are a team. But when the chips are down, I let him be the leader. So why, why do I let him do that? Well, because somebody has to lead. And because it's God's design that the man be responsible and answer to him for the family. And somehow God's design and his plan, it's just always seemed to work out best for me. Now, um, a couple weeks ago, I read something about the tango. Nod your head if you like to dance. Does anybody like to dance? Or just like dance in general? I love dance. I'm a terrible dancer, but, but I love dance. So um, this guy named Paul Coughlin wrote something about the tango, and it has to do with submission in a marriage. And Paul Coughlin wrote a book called Married But Not Engaged. That's not us dancing, by the way. No. That's what you know. So he wrote this book, and in his book, he talks about the tango. And I just thought this was cool, so I'm going to read it to you. Really get this, all right? The roles of men leading and women supporting, properly executed, give the impression that there are no roles at all. It's not obvious that anyone is leading or supporting. What you see is two people mustering their talent, power, and sensuality to create a level of physical and emotional intimacy that cannot be created by an individual dancer. He steps forth and leads with intention, and she supports his intention, enhancing their shared desire to create something grand. He leans into her, 
and she into him. Technically, it's leadership, but practically, his behavior looks more like guidance, provision, and care with style. As in marriage, someone has to guide, or they will fall on one another. It would just be a matter of time before everyone on the dance floor fell into a heap of twisted ankles and angry words. Her support and receptivity are not degrading. She glows with dignity. She honors him with donations of her trust. His lead is not stern or overbearing. He exudes reverence and in doing so cherishes her. When a Christian husband leads well and a Christian wife actively and creatively supports his lead, you don't notice who's doing what. Instead, you notice what a fluid and God-glorifying life they forge together. When well done, it's a powerful, graceful, and intimate creation of harmony that is uncommon and electrifying. That's good. Colossians 3.18 says these words to the wife. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands. And here's, here's a phrase I want to focus in on for a moment. As is fitting to the Lord. Let me tell you where submission ends, ladies. When it conflicts with specific scriptural commands. If your husband is asking you, forcing you to do something sinful, that's where your submission to him ends. And let me throw out this little disclaimer as well. Some of you ladies, you, you live in a relationship with a man that is physically and emotionally abusing you. And you are, you are currently in, a, in maybe a situation that is dangerous to you, maybe even to your children. And there are times when the principle of submission is completely inappropriate and it may even be life-threatening. And I want to encourage you, if you're in a situation like that where you're, where you're being physically abused or even verbally abused, to get help immediately and to do what you need to do to protect yourself and, and your children. Loving and submitting in God's eyes doesn't mean that you become a doormat for a man to wipe his nasty feet on or that, or that you tolerate a, a life of destructive behavior. And ladies, look, that works both ways, by the way. All right, But God's plan for our marriage is an incredible plan that involves intimacy, it involves honesty, it involves a lifetime of fulfillment, but it requires that we as husbands and wives work out our marriages according to God's plan. And the key is that the wife understands and fulfills her role and that the husband does the same. Now, why is this so important? Why is it so important that we get this? Well, first of all, it is God's design for you and, and marriage. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Amy said this a moment ago. She and I are a team. We are equal partners, all right? We talk about decisions. We pray through decisions together. Uh, many, many times she comes up with the answer and what the decision is going to be. <laughs> I don't know how to recover from No, I'm just kidding. But I didn't say that in the first there, There's... There's, there's times where we, together, we will be stuck, as a, we'll be stuck in a decision. And I realize my role at those moments is to just be on my face as God wants me to be, as the leader, and to just say, Lord, what do you want us to do? And God asks me at times to make that call because he's given me the duty to be a leader. And it's a huge responsibility. God is a God of order. The second reason why this is so important is because, ladies, when you follow God's plan, and men, when you follow God's plan, you're setting yourself up for a win. Some of you ladies, you're in a marriage where your husband's not a believer, or maybe he claims to be, but he's not the spiritual leader in your home or even in your relationship. I want you to listen to the words of the Apostle Peter 
1 Peter 3, it says, Likewise, wives, be subject, subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So ladies, if you are, you're married to a man who's unsaved, don't pressure him into salvation. Instead, let your conduct and how you live your life be a testimony of the work of Jesus in your life. All right, I, I, can't, I could sit up here and just tell you many examples of, of, of men who have come to Christ just because of watching the godly example of, their, of, of the way that their wives live their lives out towards Christ. Um, if your husband's not the spiritual leader in your home, don't try to run over them. Don't try to nag them into spiritual submission. Proverbs 21, 19 says, It is better to live in a desert land than with a, with a quarrelsome, fretful woman. And there's a lot of other verses that sound just like that in Proverbs, by the way. Ladies, so, so what do you do? Here's what you do. You pray. You just put that before God and you trust Him and you let God be able to use your testimony. Let Him use your life and your conduct as a tool to move in the life of your husband. Let Him see that in your life and trust God with that. So ladies... I want you to know, God would never ask you to do something that did, where he did not have your best in mind, all right? He longs for you to experience marriage as he created it, and that's why he addresses these roles so clearly in his word. So, as we close, what is the key? You know, we talked last week about the, the role of the man. This morning, we're talking about the role of the woman. What's the key in bringing these roles together? Because in God's eyes, men and women are created equal. And, if you, and as Amy said, if you think differently, you're wrong. Galatians 3, 28, very clearly, men and women are equal. In marriage, men and women are equal partners. But God has asked us to play different roles. And husbands, we are commanded to lead. Women are commanded to follow. So how do we bring these roles together? You have to keep asking yourself the question, where's the focus? Where's the focus? Ephesians 5.21 says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Where's the focus? The focus is Jesus. None of this can happen apart from being focused on Jesus. As a husband, you can't live out your role. As a wife, you can't live out your role without being focused on Jesus. In other words, when a husband leads his wife and he loves her in the manner, in the same manner as Christ loves the church, what is he doing? He's submitting to Jesus. When a, when a wife submits to her husband's leadership, she is actually submitting to Jesus. And submitting to Jesus is always an act of reverence and obedience. And reverence and obedience to Jesus, to God, is always an act of worship. And God loves it when we worship him. He longs, the Bible says, he longs for the praise of his people. He longs for the praise of a godly wife who is willing to go against the norm, who's willing to swim against the culture of society, and to trust that God has a plan for you. Not to harm you, not to push you down, not to rob you of your freedom, not to belittle you or to make you a doormat, but to help you to be the wife that you really want you to be and to give you the fulfilling marriage that you truly long for, the, the one that God designed in the first place. Now, guys, listen to me. Some of you, you may be sitting here praying right now that God will change your wife. Let me encourage you to take your focus off of her and to pray for yourself. Begin to pray for you. You say, what do, I, what do you mean by that? Pray that God will change you. Just pray that God will change your heart. Pray that you will choose to be the spiritual leader that your, light, your wife would want to follow. I said this last week, and I'll, I'll say it again. Amy, Amy tells me all the time, 
Women are responders. And when you become the godly man that God has called you, has commanded you to be the leader, the way that he's instructed you to, do, to be, you set yourself, you set your wife up to be able to follow you. You make it easy for her to follow you, even if she's never even seen it before or never it's been modeled for her before. So guys, start with you and let it flow out from you and give your, give your wife a, a, a man that she truly respects, that she truly, it's not hard to love you. It's not hard to want to honor you or, 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 or to submit to you. So I want you to bow your head for a moment right now. You know, submission begins at the cross where Jesus submitted to the will of his Father. And submission for us as well begins at the cross where we put our faith and trust and realize that we truly don't have what, it's, what it takes to not only make it through this life, but to know God personally apart from Jesus. And we have to take our trust and our faith and everything that we think that we are, and we have, to, we have to lay it down at the cross and put our trust and faith in Jesus and what he's done for us. And some of you, the place where you must start, the place where you have to start is at the cross. And just by saying, Lord Jesus, I need salvation. The, the distance that was created between us at that original sin moment when you first created man and women, Lord, that impacts me today and I need forgiveness for my sin. And so I repent of that and I, I put all of my faith and my trust in Jesus at this very moment. And I ask Jesus to be the savior of my life and I confess that he is the son of God. And Lord, that's where I wanna start this morning. And so if you, if you prayed that prayer, here's what I want you to do. Uh, inside your worship guide, there's a place for you to let us know you did that. It says this little box that says, this morning I prayed to receive Jesus as my savior. Take that card. Take it out to the help center. We want to help you get started on this journey with Christ. For the rest of us this morning, I want you to look at me for a moment. Um, I asked Courtney and Andrew to sing something. Um, I want you just to pray. Some of you men and women, you may want to come and just kneel at the steps. I want to pray for your marriage. Men, you may want to come by yourself. Women, you may, you, you may be sitting in here alone by yourself. You may want to come and just pray for you and for your husband and for what's going on in your lives, for your kids. We want to give you that opportunity to do that right now. So, Lord, help us at this moment to hear clearly from you and to understand your word and to respond to it in the way that you call us to, Lord. In Jesus' name, 